You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Here we are again. You let me come back. Pastor, I think it goes without saying how grateful I am for the opportunity to be up here. And I, I'm very grateful that you trust me enough to come behind your pulpit. And uh, I don't know how people find out that I'm preaching, but people constantly come up to me and, and let me know they're praying for me. And I, I don't think you understand how much that means to somebody that's called to preach. I know this morning we had Gavin and Ethan and, and Jeremy preach in Brother Dotson's class, and people were praying for you guys all week. And what a blessing that is. That ought to excite you that people love you enough that they're praying for you. And so I don't, I don't take that lightly at all. Uh, I think that song that they just sang is, is very fitting, um, especially with what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, I, I love my Bible. Amen. This, this thing, it changed my life. Yeah. And I think, I think too often we, we belittle that book. Uh, it, it really bothers me when I watch Christians come in and they, and they throw their Bible down carelessly. This is the precious Word of God. We ought to take care of it. It bothers me even more. This may just be a personal thing, but when you take something as wicked as a cell phone and place it on top of the Holy Word of God, it absolutely just irritates me that we would, that we would disrespect God's Word, something that has the power to change lives, without a doubt the most powerful thing that man has ever known, and we take it for granted. We forget how powerful it is. We forget that it changed our life. Even those that have spent years upon years reading it, they forget it. I'm falling in love with my Bible. I'm realizing that the more anybody that works a secular world job knows, the more you see the wickedness in this world, the more you need to be in that Bible. I don't know that you could work a secular world job and be sane without a Bible. I just don't know that you could do it. I don't believe it's possible. We need God's Word. This isn't even my text tonight, but I was thinking about this as they were singing, and and uh, recently this week, I was reading through the book of Amos. And any time you read through the book of in any of the prophets, it's always amazing how patient God is, the long-suffering that God has for his people. He has that for us as well. And so often you see uh, Israel and even, even Judah, they fall into idolatry and they fall into immorality and they fall into contempt of God. And uh, we don't understand what God can do if we continue in that path. There's a verse, and I can't remember it word for word, but uh, I believe it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That's scary. There was a time when people used to say that America was the greatest country on earth. And I did a little bit of research on this, and we've fallen drastically. This was a country that was founded upon this word. Men that came together and prayed for this country. We put on our currency and God we trust, but we don't trust him. We're just as much in immorality and perversion and wickedness as Israel was, if not more so. 
It's absolutely mind-blowing to me as I go out into the world, I go to my job, I deal with day-to-day errands, whatever the case is. Even when we go out soul winning, just the wickedness that you encounter with people. They don't care one bit about God's word. But that only cements to me and helps me to understand the more that we need to fight to preserve it. I worry a great deal about our younger generation. If we start to get lax on this thing, if we start to pull back, they're never going to know. Too many souls depend upon it. Too many lives depend upon it for us to just give up now. We've been very excited with what's going on in this church, and we've been very focused on this building, but I've, I've said it time and time again. If we just focus on that building, it doesn't matter the value they pull, put on it. It's worthless. If we're not willing to push this into the world and give them this, then why are we building that building? This is the most important thing. This is what people come to hear. I'm very grateful for the message this morning. Uh, He was talking about part of his message. He was talking about how sometimes we stray from God, but that we are able to come back to God. That's my testimony. I strayed very far from God for eight long years. And you know what I found out? That when I came back, he loved me just as much as when I left him. He's so gracious and he has such mercy and he has such long suffering for us. But you know where I learned all that? From this. From this. You know, there are so many questions in life that I don't have the answers to. How to be a better husband. How to be the father that you're supposed to be. How to be the coworker that you're supposed to be. How to be the church member that you're supposed to be. How to deal with people that don't like you. Church ministry. Tithing. Our finances. Raising children. Raising teenagers. <laughs> Dealing with young adults. Brother Scott, Miss Maria, you know a lot about this in the Navigators class. We've been very blessed. You see them there on the back row. They, they are a very, very excited group of young people. They're, they're, they're more faithful than, than most of the adults in this church, let's be honest. That's convicting. They're here faithfully selling out for this. This is what's important. This is what's going to save people's lives. As I said before, there are so many questions in life that I don't have the answer for. But every time that I've gone to this book, as specific as I can be, God has provided an answer. Every time without fail. It is an inexhaustible book. All of life's questions can be answered in that book. And yet it's last place for most Christians. I think it collects more dust than anything else. I always, I always find it interesting. I enjoy, oh wait, <laughs> I enjoy looking at other people's Bibles. I really do. It, it's always interesting to me. You get, you get some people that they don't want it to, to get messed up. You know, they won't open it because they don't want it to get creased in the seam. And I understand that. I understand that we ought to take care of God's word. But there's something amazing when I see a beat up old Bible pages falling out of it. The pages are stuck together with tears and you have to pull it apart and it tears. I love that sound because that's a Christian that's been in battle. They turn to this. I've determined that anytime I don't know what to do, I stop and I read God's word. And you know what? Maybe, Maybe not every time he answers specifically what I need him to answer. 
But you cannot tell me, anybody that's spent time in this book, that you don't come away with a sense of peace. That God just lets you know, you know what, I'm in control. This is what you need to do. Stay faithful. Continue to keep going. This book is so powerful. I've made it my, my mission to fight to preserve it. I need my kids to have the same book. I need these young people to have this same book. Nothing has changed about this book. It's not, it's not the book that's changed. It's the people. We want to corrupt it and pervert it. You don't need to. It's perfect. It's infallible. Just like our God. He gave us this for a reason. He wants us to use it. So I believe that we, as a church, we need to determine that we're going to be in the fight for this book. Many of us, we have young children in the home. And, and one, of the, one of the greatest joys is my wife homeschools. And, and we have our four-year-old and our three-year-old. And they're memorizing verses. That's powerful. Because you know what? There's going to come a time when they're faced with opposition. And they're going to start rattling off verses. I wish I had that testimony. I wish I could memorize large portions of scripture like that. Anybody who's met my daughter knows that she's a little, she's a little special. But you know what? She can memorize scripture like nobody else I've ever met. She'd put most adults to shame with the amount of scripture that she can memorize. And she doesn't just memorize it just to memorize it. She uses it. You hear her talk about the things that she deals with at work and the things that she deals with at school. And guess what? She goes to the Christian Academy. That doesn't mean that they're exempt from problems. They're going to have problems just like a public school is going to have problems. And for, for her to give testimony of how God has worked in her life and how God has dealt things out for her, it comes from this book. Pastor doesn't just come up here and pull things out of the air to just preach to us. No, he spends time in this book. As much as many of you think that I'm a little crazy, I spent time in this book. I come up here with the intention. I spent time in prayer asking God, what is it that you would have me to give your people? I don't come up here aimlessly. I spent time in God's book. And I believe what he has given me tonight is something that we need to heed to. We need to understand the power that is in this book. If we don't take it serious, there's going to come a point where God's going to stop speaking to us. And then what happens? At some point, those that have memorized the Bible die off. And then you're left with a generation that knows nothing about God. That ought to scare you. Because we're a whole lot closer to it than you think. We need now to fight for God's word. It's important. And more importantly than that, it's worth it. Because he's worthy. Amen. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. going to read Second uh, Timothy chapter number 4, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll skip on down to verse number 13. <laughs> I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Does that sound familiar? But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Verse number 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this night. Lord, I do pray that you would just make clear what it is that you've laid upon my heart. Lord, speak to the hearts of your people as only you can. And let it be for your praise, honor, and glory, Lord. I do love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. So we're coming to the end of Paul's life here. Uh, many, many that know the story of Paul know that he has exhausted himself completely for the cause of Jesus Christ. He fought to preserve the word. Uh, he wasn't a stranger to fighting for the cause. And we're going to talk about that more. But it's interesting to me when you start reading uh, what we read there, there is such emphasis on continuing to go forward with the word. He even calls it out that there are going to be people that turn their ears from it. Uh, they believe it to be under fables. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people, I've witnessed to people, and they think, they think this is nothing more than a bunch of stories comprised as, as fairy tale for people to just kind of, oh, that's so good. That's a crutch that we can lean on. No, this is, this is our life. This is my life. I take this book very seriously. Um, we need to realize that, that this isn't just some made-up stuff. This is real. These people lived these instances, these accounts, they live through that. We see Paul here at the end of his life. Timothy, no doubt, is, is taking heed of his condition, and he's listening to what uh, the Apostle Paul has to say because there's going to come a time when Paul does pass off, and then it's going to be up to Timothy to continue to preserve the word. Uh, even in his death, I find it amazing. Uh, I, you know, who, who knows exactly what kind of situation uh, you're going to be, what you're going to be thinking about on your deathbed. But here he is. He knows that he's uh, soon to pass. He knows that it's coming. It's just moments away. And uh, he more desires to have the word of God with him. He talks about uh, the books and the parchments. And some of those books, uh, when you study it out, they're talking about the letters that he wrote to the many churches. I believe that he kept those letters with him because he held those people so very dear to his heart. He cared a great deal about souls. He cared a great deal about those churches that were founded and planted upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, even in the very end of his life, he made it so very important. The parchments, many believe, are the, the Old Testament uh, Paul is showing Timothy here that even in a time of death at the end of your life, when you know that you're going to be with your creator in just a few moments, he still desired to get in his word. There was still more that he could learn from God's word. And we have to realize that to the very end, we need to stay faithful to God's word. I find it interesting, uh, you know, Pastor, the more I read God, God's Word, there are so many three-point outlines already set up for you. So I'm going to steal one from Paul tonight, uh, but we're going to talk about that famous, that famous verse, verse number seven, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. He did exactly that in the fight to preserve the Word. Number one, he said, I have fought. Uh, when you study out Paul's life, Paul was no stranger to fighting for the cause, uh, even before he was converted and began to earnestly contend for the faith, Paul fought. 
Uh, he was a Jew. Uh, he fought with zeal to persecute those who did not obey Jewish law. He had spent much time in study as a Pharisee. He devoted himself completely to that cause. And anybody that went against that cause, he didn't want you to be a part of anything. He, he viewed you as a threat. The gospel of Jesus Christ, he did not want that to be spread because he viewed it very much as a threat to Judaism. His devout studies of Jewish, Jewish law led him to believe that Christ was not the Messiah. It wasn't until his journey on the Damascus Road that Paul's life would be forever changed. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecuteth. I love his answer. He realizes who he's talking to. This is no joke at this point. He understands that there is a very real Jesus Christ, and he says, what shall I do, Lord? What is it that you would have me to do? We ought to ask ourselves tonight, what shall I do, Lord? Are we doing enough to preserve this word? The answer is no. I don't think that we'll ever be able to say that we are truly doing enough, but we ought to fight to always do more. We see the power in the Word of God that can take a man as vile in the persecution of Christians as Saul, the chiefest of sinners, and completely change him. He changed me. He changed many others in here as well. You, you listen to the testimonies of many in here. You tell me that this book doesn't work. I'll tell you you're a liar because I've seen it work in my own life. That same fight, that same zeal, he carried it over, but now he was fighting for the right cause. Makes me think Jesus knew who he was going after. He saw, here's a man that has such zeal. If I could just get him to repent and change his direction, I could use that man. And he did something powerful with Paul. From that very moment, I'm sure Paul was very aware that it was going to be a fight, but a very different fight. What he had once clung so closely to, the devotion, the time, the study to the law of Judaism, now he's completely changed because God spoke. Power in God's word. What a testament to the power of God's word. And furthermore, cementing that we must at all costs preserve it. It is completely worth every second of devoting your time to. Imagine being Paul. Here you are. The Christians question your conversion. The Pharisees question your conversion. That's a, that's a time of isolation. And I believe that that was intended by God on purpose to get Paul to a point where he would, he would focus wholly on God and realize that God was going to be in control and he was going to guide him every step of the way. It's very interesting we think about that, how the, how the Christians question his conversion and the Pharisees question his conversion. I remember when I got saved. Everybody questioned it. There's no way. You're a heathen. You haven't done anything for God, and all of a sudden you're going to tell me that God has changed you? And then even more so, many that have heard my testimony, I wish that I could say I went from 15 and did great things from God, but the truth is from 15 to 16, from 16 to 23, all I did was drink alcohol and consume drugs. That's all I did. Wasted eight years of my life in which I could have been effective for God. And all throughout that time, I used to tell people I was a Christian. I was not being a very good witness. I was not being a very good testimony. And so it was no wonder that people couldn't understand that God had changed me. When God gets a hold of us, we become engaged in a real fight. 
I think oftentimes when we first get saved, that fight is more to justify our change. We have to justify to people that something has really happened to us, that God has really gotten a hold of us, that this book has been made real in our lives. People don't want to believe it. But then when you stick, stick to it and you stick it out, you know what happens? Your mindset changes. What was once a fight to justify your change is now a fight to see God's word, word change someone else. The power in God's word. You understand that the more you start to read this, you understand how valuable it is. You don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to tell other people about it because you know if they would just listen just for a second, it would change their entire life. There was a point. If every one of us that, that, that we could say, we know that we're saved, if every one of us would think back, there's a point when somebody opened God's word and gave us a plan of salvation or preached a gospel message. That wasn't man's word. That was God's word. And then from that, you guys kept coming back. And you learn and you grow and you begin to understand all of Scripture and you begin to understand what God wants you to do with your life, all because of the power of God's word. I cannot wrap my head around why people want to get rid of God's word. I can't wrap my head around that. Because when you understand the love of God, it completely blows my mind that people are so against that. I just, I I wish that I could understand. I wish that I could rationalize in such a way that I could present it to them to make it real. But some people hate God so much that they don't care about his message. They don't want to listen to what he has to say. People will begin to question why we don't do this anymore, why we don't do that anymore. Paul, why aren't you studying the Jewish law? Paul, why aren't you hanging out with us anymore? Paul, what are you doing? We beg and we plead for people to accept Jesus so that they too can experience what we have. It's powerful. It is no easy fight. We understand that tonight. It's very difficult. That's why Paul said to Timothy, endure the hardness of life as a good soldier. Paul didn't hold back any punches. He made it very clear to Timothy that if you were going to get into ministry, it is going to be exhausting, it is going to be spiritually draining, and it's going to be physically tough on your body. But it's worth every bit of it. Family will turn on you. Friends will turn on you. The world will mock you. You'll be persecuted. You'll be made fun of. But remember, they all did it to him first. But we must engage in the fight for the souls of many depend upon it. There is a real enemy that desires to get rid of the word of God completely. I, I try so hard lately to not, to not pay attention to the news, to not engage in what I'm seeing. And uh, I, I believe we understand tonight that what's going on in, in Ukraine and Russia is very serious. I believe we understand that. But more than that, I, I'm concerned with what I hear about people trying to get rid of God's word especially here in America. You hear about schools that are banning it because they say it's, it's provocative and it's filthy. No, it's truth. Yeah. We need to hear it. Yeah. I heard story of a lady that brought her, her child to church and the pastor was preaching a very uh, in-depth message about uh, Jesus Christ being beaten with a cat of nine tails and then being hung on the cross and they said that they scared their little girl. Your, your little girl needs to hear that. It's what's going to keep her out of hell. 
but we want to, it's amazing to me that we'll try to water down the gospel, but we'll let our kids sit in front of a, a, a video game for hours on end, blowing heads off of people that they don't know in video games. They become desensitized to it. And you wonder why this country has the mass shootings that we do. Maybe it's because we, we don't have moms and dads that'll get into this book and discipline their children the way they need to be disciplined. People are losing their lives over not getting in this book. We don't take it serious. I believe as Christians, we are not making it real enough to people that we preach to. Every one of us in here, if we're, if we're saved tonight, we are called to preach the word. We need to make this book real to those that we come in contact with. And I think we're falling short of that. We need to make it real. Schools have tried to ban it. Countries have tried to ban it. And they've been largely unsuccessful to completely eradicate it. Why? Because there are men and women that came before us that fought and were martyrs for the cause of this book. It's important. Too often we come and we sit in the church and we sit in the pews and we think it's the job of the pastor. We think it's the job of those that are called to preach. We think it's the job of the missionary. No, it's your job. If you're saved tonight, you are called to preach. It's that simple. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need to know the word. We need to get serious about this thing. If that building's ever going to mean anything to us, we need to get serious about this book. There ought not be a reason that a day goes by where your nose isn't in this book. You'd be surprised the power of just a chapter a day. I would encourage you to read more than that, but we need to get in this book. So often I talk to people throughout, throughout the week, whether it be at work or even at church, and people tell me about their problems, and the first question I ask them, you reading your Bible? No. God gave it to you. Why not use it? It's the only offense we have. It's powerful. As long as we fight in God's power, they cannot win. But what we don't like is how hard it is. We don't want to face opposition. They may not be able to completely eradicate it because there are men and women out there willing to fight but they are going to do the next best thing. They're going to corrupt it. NIV, ESV, NKJV, RSV, RSB, you name it. I wouldn't recommend this, but I, I have spent time in study comparing Scripture, and it is absolutely abominable what they do to God's Word. The words that they take out can make it seem in such a way that you're lifting Satan up. And people don't know. You know why they don't know? Because we don't make this book serious. We don't go out and tell them. We don't go out and inform them. So many people, they want to give me a hard time. What book do you read? Well, I read the KJV. I stand on that conviction. Is it hard to read sometimes? Yeah, it is. But you know what? That's why you have to study to show yourself approved. That means you're actually going to have to put forth effort to read God's word. If all, if all of God's word that you're getting is when you come and hear whoever's preaching behind this pulpit, I feel sorry for you. Because you're missing out on such an amazing personal time with God. There's something powerful about when you open this book and God starts speaking to your heart. And he says, you know, if you would just do this, I could help you with this. And if you would do this, I would help you with that. And if you would just go forward with this, your marriage would be the better for it. And your children would be the better for it. But so often we, we get to the point where we say, you know what? I don't want to do that. We pull out our cell phones. 
We get on all the filth that's on the internet. I hate cell phones. It's probably the worst thing that ever happened to America. You know, there was a time just, just 100 years ago, not even that long ago, kids didn't even have cell phones. You know what they did on their summer breaks? They worked. They harvest. They were out there planting and pulling up, getting dirty, long days. And we complain because the AC goes out or the Wi-Fi loses connection. Why? Because we don't have moms and dads that make this book real. I love this book. Am I saying that I know everything about it? No, absolutely not. But I can't tell you of a time, not one time, where I've gone to this book seeking an answer that God hasn't directed me in some way or another. We need it. In Ephesians 6, Paul said we are to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The whole armor of God is only made powerful when we become wholly dependent upon our Lord and his word. Too often you see people with weapons that they don't know how to use. His word is our offense in this fight. If we don't know how to use it, then we're going to be unsuccessful in that. That is the equivalent of me handing Riley a loaded weapon and saying, here you go, figure it out. Completely ineffective. So often we put this book in people's hands and we don't tell them how powerful it is. We don't help them to understand it. Of course they're not going to read it. We need that encouragement. We need to understand, though, how powerful this is. You better believe that Paul took time to show people. You know, oftentimes we read scripture and we see all the people that were influenced and saved because of his preaching and because of his letters and because of his ministry and his mission trips. But what about all the people that weren't saved? But I guarantee Paul tried. I guarantee he continued to preach even though the weight of seeing people reject Jesus Christ, I'm sure it was heavy, but he continued to do it. We must fight because our families need it. We must fight because we need it. We must fight because there are some who have never heard the gospel. We must fight because if God so chooses to tarry his coming, then there are going to be future generations that need it just as much then as we need it now. I tell you, as a father, that's probably one of my biggest fears. We've talked about this, Pastor. How are my kids going to deal with the filth that's coming behind us in this world? How are my kids going to deal with that? You have five-year-olds making life-altering decisions, but they can't even figure out if they want chicken nuggets or mac and cheese. How does that happen? Corrupted parents that aren't spending time in the Word of God. Five-year-olds don't need to make decisions like that. I'm not going to go any further than that. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. They need it. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. And he could say it with confidence. Have you done all you can do? But we see also, he said, I have kept the faith. He trusted in God and his word, regardless of the persecution, the trial, the affliction. It didn't matter. He determined if God said it, that's it, period. He was going to live it out to his fullest. Had many of us faced what Paul faced, we probably would have gotten out pretty quick. Let's be honest. When's the last time you worried about being stoned? When's the last time you worried about beating with a rod? From what I heard, Ethan almost had that happen earlier. Once, twice, three times. Three times beaten. 
How about have you ever been shipwrecked? Again, three times. And spend a whole day and night out in the sea. And I'm sure it wasn't calm sailing. Have you ever been imprisoned for preaching the word? No, we wouldn't do that. We get out of church for much less. It's amazing the things that people get out of church for. They don't want to stick to it. This Christian walk, this, this life ministry, it is tough. There's nothing easy about being in it. Absolutely nothing. Why do we do it? Are we foolish? No, because we know the power of this book. We understand that people need it. People say the pastor didn't pick me to lead a Sunday school class. Well, have you ever led or have you ever followed the person that's put before you? Are you willing to do that? Then how are you going to lead? I never get asked to sing specials. Well, you won't even be a part of the choir. How are you going to do that? Why doesn't anyone ever ask my opinion? Well, you got to show up to church, not just when it's convenient for you. I'm not saying we don't face hardship or affliction. I understand that. But honestly, honestly, how do we expect to keep the faith and preserve God's word if we're offended by the color they paint the bathroom? That seems, that seems ridiculous, right? Because it is. Who cares? By the way, I like the color in the bathroom. <laughs> Brother Dusty did a great job with the lights. But we get offended by stuff like that. It's amazing the bickering within each other that we can have. And Satan uses that. Because let's be honest, when that happens, do you read your Bible? No. No, you don't. Are you praying about it? Maybe. Maybe that God would make it convenient for you and not for the other person. It takes our focus off of how powerful this is. This is to be our focus. It is the discerner of our hearts and our thoughts. It is powerful. And yet we belittle it because we go through hardship here. And we look at these stories and we think, I could never go through that. Well, you probably couldn't because you aren't spending time in God's word. Think about that. Do you think Job was really ready for what he went through? The only reason I personally believe that he was able to endure that was because he knew how powerful God and his word were. That's where his trust was. If somebody took all that from you and you didn't have God, you'd probably perish. Just being honest. That would, be a, that would be a hard pill to swallow. This is what gets so many Christians through life. Testimony after testimony after testimony of the hardest things I could ever imagine that God's children go through and you ask them how they got through it. They have a verse. They have a chapter. They have a book. This gets us through so much and yet we don't even take the time to open it. We get more focused on what's happening to us. We forget that we have to keep the faith. This Christian walk, it's a very real fight, and we need to get all in. They depend upon it. Souls depend upon it. I think about those people that we're going to see as they come into the building. They depend upon it. They're going to need to hear the word. When was the last time we actually prayed for someone else other than ourselves? When's the last time we made this priority? When's the last time we prayed God would give us someone to lead to the Lord? We have amazing soul winners in this church. I'll be honest with you, I strive to be one. 
I wish that I could be better at it. I'm always trying at it. But if I was to allow the fact that so many have rejected God's word when I go to their door, when I witness out in public, whatever the case may be, if I were to allow that to get to me, then I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't keep the faith. I'd just close up shop. I didn't ask God to call me to preach. I didn't ask God to use me the way that he did. But I believe that he did because I got in this book and I said, whatever you want, God, if you'll use me, if you'll continue to guide me, I'll do it. Nothing about being a Christian is easy. I'm learning that. I'm learning that there's absolutely nothing about it that is easy. Ministry is not easy. It's not easy to determine that you're going to come to church. It's not easy to tithe. It's not easy to show up to Sunday school, especially when you don't necessarily believe the teacher. We run into that even in our own church. Being a Christian is tough, but we do it because we know this is important. We know how powerful this is, how this is going to help and influence people's lives. We need this book. We get so focused on what everybody else is doing. If we would just focus on God and his word, imagine how this church would grow. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about the Macedonian people. They're very, very, very poor people. But they gave absolutely everything they can to give to Paul so that he can go and spread this gospel to others. They gave everything because they knew how powerful it was. It didn't matter the cost. We ought to have that mindset. I wish that I could tell you in depth, and I've talked to some of the men in here about it, but the, the things that I go through in my workplace, I think many people think that I'm exaggerating the filth and the wickedness. If I could just tell you, you would, you would be completely like, how do you deal with that? And I've heard many others as well, you deal with the same thing in workplaces. It's just absolutely draining. But I'll tell you what it does do. It keeps me close to that book because I become brutally aware of how, how desperately this world needs God. Sometimes they won't listen to me. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't care what this Bible has to say. The very best I can do at times is pray and continue to live my life for God in hopes that they'll change their mind and get saved. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's a tough thing. But we have to stay faithful in what God has given us. The preservation of this word depends upon it. This is powerful. If this stops with us, then that means nobody else will get to hear it. Many in here, you've, you've talked about living years and years and not understanding how somebody could love you so much. It's a hard thing to grasp. I understand that. How could somebody leave a place as glorious as heaven and come to earth and die for sinners? How could somebody do that? But this book says that he did. And I believe it to be true. How else could I have changed the way that I have changed? It wasn't me. I didn't follow a 12-step program. No, it was the word of God. The word of God changed me. It's tough, but we have to keep the faith. God has entrusted us with his word. It isn't for us to keep to ourselves. How shall they hear without a preacher? He gives us the greatest tool that we could ever use, and we don't want to go out. We don't want to go out and tell people about it because we're afraid they'll tell us no, or they're afraid, we're afraid they'll cuss at us, or we're afraid that, that they're just going to be rude to us or mean to us. Get over it. It's going to happen. Embrace it. 
divers temptations, the things that people fall into. We have to be aware that, that God is going to get us through those things. We should just determine now, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and it's going to be uncomfortable, no matter how much opposition and oppression we face, no matter the weight of the burden, no matter how much the world mocks me, I will keep the faith and trust God. And it's when we make that determination, when we set out and say, God, whatever you want, because of that, his gospel will be spread and his word will be preserved. There is a great cost to keeping the faith. You're going to lose friends. I tell you, that was probably my biggest struggle when I finally decided that this was going to be my life. I lost every single friend that I had from that life. And you know what? That's okay, because I gained quite a few good ones. I mean, who else is going to give me backhanded compliments like Brother Luke? Who else is going to put me down every time I preach like Brother Dusty? I got some good friends out of the deal. I'm okay with that. You'll be persecuted by those you thought cared about you. It's going to happen. Be prepared for it. You're going to lose sleep. That I haven't gotten used to yet. I don't like that. But I believe as Paul sat in that cold, dark prison, he thought back on Ephesus and Thessalonica and Rome and Corinth and Galatia and Philippi and Colossae. He knew that he had kept the faith. He had done exactly what he was supposed to do in getting the word of God largely to the Gentile people. What peace that must have brought him in that prison cell. He preached Jesus and the resurrection, and because of the word, many were influenced, many were saved, and they also went and spread the word of God. About a, about a week ago, last Sunday, I was over there. I, I try to make it a point at least, at least once a week to go over there and, and pray for the new building and walk on the, uh, the uh, concrete slab there. And uh, Zeke joined me last week there, Brother Dusty. And he was beginning to tell me his burdens about how he's going to miss this building because he's so devastated because he thinks junior church is going away. But junior church isn't going away. In fact, it's probably just going to get bigger and crazier. And so he ought to be excited about that. But we were over there just praying about it. And uh, even, how old is he, six, five? It's amazing to me. He goes, he goes Brother Mark, where's pastor going to be? And so we're doing the layout. And I tell him, where am I going to sit? And I tell him, you know, this is where you normally sit. Where's my dad going to be? And he starts asking. He's, he's curious about these things. That's amazing for a five-year-old to be over in that building and wanting to know how God's going to work in that way. And you know why that happens? Because he's got a mom and dad that get in this book. They make it important. They show him how, how good God has been to them and that he can have that same relationship. That can be his God. It doesn't have to be mom and dad's God. That's exciting. When we see our young people get excited about the things of God. But I think about that building often. I drive past it almost every single day of the week. On my way home from work, I see the construction workers out there. And I, I can almost see the, the young people running across the parking lot and the people buzzing and just all the excitement going on. And, and I really hope that we can look back one day, those of us that have been in this church for, for years, I hope that we stay faithful because of what we're doing now, that's made possible. Brother Luke, did you think this was going to be possible when you were still on McArdle? It took a lot of faith to get that. It took a lot of people dedicating to go out soul winning regardless of how uncomfortable it was. And I look at that building and I hope that one day I can look at it when it's finished years from now and say, man, I'm so glad I kept the faith. 
I'm so glad that I continued, even though people rejected Jesus Christ, they rejected this book. I'm so glad that I kept the faith because there are going to be people over there that are going to be standing here giving testimony of us and how that we influence their lives just as Paul influenced Timothy and Luke and some of the others. But lastly, we see Paul said, I have finished the course. Here the man of God sits in the cold, dark prison, surrounded by the letters he wrote, reminding him of the churches and people he held so dear. He cared a great deal about them. Reading the scriptures, pondering on the one he has read so much about. I can't even imagine what that would have been like to read about Jesus Christ just moments before you meet him. No better way to go. You see that, and you, you, you see that picture, that illustration. You would, you would think that it would seem a lonely, bitter ending. But I truly believe that Paul was perfectly content with where he was. That's what God's Word does. It brings about a peace in the most troubling of times, in the biggest opposition of our lives. We can read God's Word, and we can hear from heaven, and he brings about peace. I think of all the martyrs that have fought for this word, what they have done. Every one of them, you hear account after account after account. They suffered, burned at the stake, strangulated, filleted, many cruel deaths. And they did it because they understood the power in this word and they had great peace about it. I hope that we can say that. I believe Paul, knowing that he had done all that he could to reach as many as he could, brought about peace in his life because he trusted this word. He kept the faith. He finished the course. He had exhausted himself for the greatest cause mankind has ever known. It's the same cause that we get to be a part of. Can't just be John that does it. I know we have many great soul winners in this church. But we ought to daily strive. That is the goal for my Sunday school class, that every one of us would see a soul saved this year. It's difficult. You're going to face a lot of opposition. But it's worth every second when you see a soul saved. When you see them come to that realization that they are lost and undone without God and His Son, and they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And even better than that, when you see them come to church and they get involved, I think of my wife. She got saved in this church five, six, seven years ago, eight years ago. She got saved right over there. I remember the service because men and women in this church kept the faith and they finished the course and they continued to preach the word even when it was hard. She got saved. Many of you tell me all the time how, how uh, much of an influence she is on, on some of you younger ladies. And, and it's kind of crazy when you think about that because eight years is not really a long time to be in the faith. But she spends time in God's word. That's what helps her to grow. She has a desire to see people saved. She has a desire. She, she prays endlessly for the salvation of her family members. And we're working on a few now. She has a burden for that. But she understands that because she understands how powerful this word is. Is it real to us? Are we doing something with it? Because of his fervency, his zeal, his never-ending desire to see souls saved and lives changed, he could finally rest knowing that his life's work would continue. And his son 
in the faith, Timothy and Titus, Carpus, Tychicus, Luke. No doubt it was taxing on his body physically. Many have said that his eyes were never the same after that Damascus Road experience. How could it be if you looked on something as glorious as God? It weighed on his heart emotionally and spiritually. His life was threatened time and time again. His days long with worry and prayer. You read his letters. He had a heavy heart for people. But soon he would receive a crown of righteousness because this word is powerful. It changed my life and many others as well. This word means something to me. You can argue with me about it all you want, but I understand the power of this word. You're not going to change my mind on it. I'm fully convicted in that. We need to fight to preserve this word. People need to hear this word. But if we don't let it get a hold of us, then they're never going to listen. We have to let it do something in our lives, and then we need to fight to preserve it. I'll end with this. Has anybody ever heard of William Tyndale? Yeah. I raise a hand. How many people? So a, a pretty fair amount. Very instrumental person. He was a he was a a pretty devout linguist. He, he studied languages. He was fluent in seven languages. I'm still trying to master English, um, but he he was an, an instructor at the University of Cambridge in 1521. About that time, he had uh, began to associate himself with certain people that were, I guess, you could consider Bible scholars. They had convictions of the Bible. Uh, it was during this time that he became convinced that the Bible alone should determine the doctrine and practices of the church. That's a novel idea, right? He also believed that every believer should be able to read the Bible in their own language. It was at this time that it was largely believed that it would be the priests. Uh, you have to understand England at that time was very Catholic dominated. Uh, the, the priests believed that they were the ones that would hear from God and they were the ones that studied God's word and then they would give it to the people. There was a lot of pride in that, uh, a lot of wickedness that developed because of that. Uh, but, but he had set out, uh, Tyndale had set out to prove that anybody who would study God's word and ask for God's wisdom could understand far better than the clergy. He at this time determined it would be his life's mission to translate the Bible directly from the Greek and Hebrew to the English language. He fought the good fight. In 1523, he began the work of translating the New Testament. In 1524, in order to avoid persecution of the Catholic Church, he spent much of his time traversing the English Channel as he sought safety in order to complete his work. He was in direct violation of a prohibition that forbade anybody to translate or even read the vernacular versions of the Bible without first seeking permission. That's scary. It was at this time he came to the realization that there was no place in all of England that he could continue to translate without always having to be on the run. It was then that he would decide to migrate to Europe where he would end up in Germany. In 1525, shortly after arriving, he had a portion of his translation of the New Testament printed on a printing press. The printing press was becoming very popular at this time. It was very instrumental in spreading God's word. It is said that they had gotten as far as printing up to Matthew 22 before the building uh, housing the press was raided. However, the British authorities only made off with copies and not the original translations. Tell me God wasn't in that. In 1526, he was able to release 6,000 copies of his completely translated New Testament, all 27 books. 
Upon completing the New Testament, he started out on the Old Testament and had completed the Pentateuch. In 1529, again in order to evade authorities, he set out to Hamburg, Germany with translations in tow. Somewhere off the coast of the Netherlands, his ship wrecked and all of his translations of the Pentateuch were destroyed and perished in the sea. That shipwreck had cost him dearly his time, money, and copies on top of all his books. But yet he kept the faith and was still compelled to double in his labors. He spent most of 1529 translating the Pentateuch and would complete it in 1530. Between 1530 and 1535, he would translate Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, as well as the book of Jonah. By 1535, authorities had finally found and arrested Tyndale. And on October 6th, 1536, at 42 years old, Tyndale was ordered to be executed via strangulation and burned at the stake. It was said as he suffered at the stake, his final words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. The king had no desire that anybody would have the Bible in their own language. He, did, he, he counted on the priests to, to give that to the people. Two years after his death, the king had ordered the Bible of Miles Coverdale, a man said to have joined in translating the Bible with Tyndale, be used in every, every parish in the land. He had finished his course. It was his desire that no matter the cost, that every believer would have the word of God to read in their own language, and he was successful in that. It is said that Tyndale's fervency in translation accounts for roughly 84% of the New Testament of the 1611 authorized version of the Bible and roughly 75% of the Old Testament in the 1611 authorized version of the Bible, more commonly known as what we use today, the 1611 King James Version. This book meant something to Paul. It meant something to William Tyndale. It means something to me, and I hope it means something to you. It did not matter the cost. They knew its value and were instrumental in the preservation and spreading of it. What does it mean to you tonight? Many, many great truths that are upon the, scripture, upon the pages of Scripture, but the greatest truth is knowing beyond doubt where we are going when we die. As I said before, there, there came a point in your life where somebody gave you God's word and you came to a realization that you were on your way to hell. And that changed because you understood that this was truth. And I would ask you tonight, if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, later in the invitation, we will give you an opportunity to know that. You can know not from man's word, but from God's word, from this book. We have upon our laps tonight the most powerful thing that has ever existed. If we would just take the time to open it and to get our nose in it, to read it, to study it, we could go tell other people about Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.